Welcome everyone this morning. Welcome if you're here for the first time. Um, I pray that um, your experience this morning would definitely be an experience where you know that God um, is speaking to you personally and intimately. So what I want to share with you this morning is running to Jesus. I believe that if you have a faith to believe, your eyes can be open and your ears can hear the voice of God. And if you're here for the first time, all you've got to do is ask the Lord, Lord God, if you are real and if you are true and and if what that person is saying at the front is from you, then make yourself known to me personally, intimately, you know, individually. And you, you won't be disappointed. A lot of people attach God or faith to their life, but very few people make God their life. And that's the difference. That's the distinction and that's the change. It's not having some kind of a, a, a renovated extension. It is basically the foundation to the house. So those of you who struggle in your faith or you kind of can't grasp or come to a kind of a, a, a grounded understanding of Jesus Christ, it may be the fact that you live your life in such a way where, where Jesus is just an extension, you know, something that's just added. And you can't live like that, not when it comes to faith. Because according to the gospel and according to Jesus Christ, he is the rock. He is the foundation. He is everything. And because he is everything, you can't run anywhere else. There's no other place to hide. And if you make Christ everything and not just an attachment to your life, you'll find the difference. You'll find the difference. I think I'm almost 50 And I think that living 50 years of life and experience, that I could make a fair judgment that most people or or even some people live their life like it's a bad movie, like it's a bad movie. And what I mean by a bad movie is that the beginning of the movie, it's extraordinary, it's actually brilliant. It's probably the most spectacular intro, that, intro you've seen in any movie that keeps you sitting down to watch the rest of it. And it's a bad movie because as you're progressing through the movie, you're thinking, okay, this is good, I'm enjoying this, and where's it going? And then you're kind of still waiting for this extraordinary thing that you're experiencing at the start, at the intro, that never actually eventuates in the end, and then the movie just flops, the ending just goes, you know, you know, the kind of movie I'm talking about. Like what seemed to be good at the start, in the end, just flopped. And most people's lives are a bit like that, sadly. That what seems to appear to be quite extraordinary and amazing, at the end of their time, ends up being a flop. And sadly enough, what happens is a lot of people invest a lot of time and a lot of effort at the beginning and neglect at the end. And the most important, the most important when it comes to the gospel message isn't necessarily what was happening at the start or or in the middle. It's how you ended. And so when you run to Jesus, it's not so much how many times you tripped or how many times you fell. It's what happened at the end that's extraordinary. Because in the end, that's all that matters. So if you're running a race, you may be skilled 
in the way you start the race. You know, you might have all the techniques and all the style of basically how you, how you kind of crouch down and you, how you put your foot on the starting line, and you can be brilliant in that, and you can be a master of that, and that could be fantastic, but in the end, you know, all that matters is what? The one who got to the finish line. The one who got to the finish line, all that matters. You can have all the brilliance, and unfortunately, unfortunately, as people, we put a lot of effort, a lot of effort at the start, and when the, the, the romance and all the, the, the excitement wears off, we fall and, and, and stumble, at the, and some of us barely get to the end. I think it'd be foolish to judge a marriage by how well the couple organized the wedding plan with all their zeal, all their passion, all their enthusiasm, just brilliant candles and the aroma and the smell of the whole and the plants and all the flowers and the bridal part. And, that was just, and they spent hours and hours and time and time and energy. And if we were all to look and say, oh, wow, they love each other, it would be, would be foolish, right? If we were to say that the way they're starting is so wonderful that they love each other, rather than saying, well, the way they end is really the testimony of love. And it is the same with Christians, you see. See, what really matters isn't how zealous you are or how ambitious you are when it comes to your faith. What matters in the end is how well you end. When you run to Jesus, do you get there? Do you get there? When you run to Jesus, do other things distract you on the way? And you can talk as much as you want about Jesus. And you can talk about much, much about faith. But in the end, when you get to the end, are you at his feet holding on to Jesus? Or has something along the road thrown you off? I teach design to students, senior students. And these are passionate young creative minds. They love design by the time they get to me. They think design is their life. That's what they want to do. They want to get into design, most of them anyway. And I can do this kind of a spill with them, you know, at the first lesson I, I, to inspire them. And they're just glued. They're listening. They're listening. And they're organized. Come that lesson, they've got their stuff, their, you know, their materials, their visual diary. They've got their, they're just excited. And they'll come to me and they'll ask me all kinds of questions. We haven't even started the year yet, but they want to know. And at the back of my mind, I look at that and I listen to them. I think, this is beautiful. This is fantastic zeal. This is awesome zeal. But do they really know what the journey ahead is going to be like? Do they have what it takes to carry through to get to the end? Because in the end, all this stuff at the start isn't really going to matter much. It's important. It's significant. But it's not going to really matter much if they don't have this one thing, which is determination, motivation, inspiration, and they're going to get there to the end. And I've had students who are brilliant, talented, creative, gifted young minds that they are able to supersede any other student previously. And when they get to the end, they represent and reflect something that is absolutely not them. And I, I get shocked. I think, waste. What, what, you know, like, what brilliance just gone. There's no manifestation of it. And it's the same like faith. You see, faith, you can have all the gifting of God and all the beauty of God and all the revelations of God, but in the end, when you get to the end, do you have what it takes to actually manifest the power of God? 
Because the power of God is patience and long-suffering and is able to carry you through to the end. And are you a manifestation of the reality of that power? I want to share with you this morning what it takes to run to Jesus and make sure you get there. Because everything is against you. That's the reality of the spiritual life. Everything is against you. And what does it look like when you run to Jesus? What are we going to expect to find? What does it actually appear like? That's why the Bible tells us, don't judge anyone before the time. In fact, it said it in, if you want to turn with me, it says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Don't judge anything before the time until the Lord come. He is the one who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Don't go judging people. Just wait and see. At the end of a man's life, you will see the testimony of their faith. The end result will determine whether this person has the caliber or the reality of a faith that saves. You can talk as much as you want about faith, but wait, hang on for a time and a season and see what the trials ahead of them is going to bring them and manifest in them whether they have the faith that takes them to Jesus. There was a man who basically had four sons and he tells the four sons, I want you to go over to the pear tree and come back and tell me about the pear tree. So the four sons go off to look at the pear tree up on the hill in the distance. But they go at different seasons. One goes in summer, one goes in spring, one goes in autumn, one goes in winter. And they come back in time and in season. And, and the father says to the sons, what did you see? And then one of the sons says, I saw a pear tree that was, that was, that was withered and, and crusty. And the other son says, no, it wasn't. I saw a pear tree that was blooming with leaves and, and, and you know, sprouting with these little greenery. He goes, oh, that's odd, the other brother said. He goes, I didn't see that. I saw flowers sprouting, white leaf, uh, petals. And then the fourth brother says, oh, hang on, that's all not true because I saw fruit on these trees, ripe, luscious fruit. And so if you were to judge a tree at a particular season, at a particular time, you'd all be wrong. But if you were to judge the tree at the end when its fruit is manifested, you'd say, oh, well, that's an apple tree, yep. Yep, that's a pear tree, I saw a pear. It's the same with the Christian. You can look at a Christian and say, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Why are they like this? Why are they like that? But wait in season and in time when the true test comes, when the fire comes, see if a man is proud or see if a man is humble. Wait when a particular storm comes or a rain comes and see how this person handles such an event. Do they handle it like a person who has faith? A person who's running to Jesus? The Bible says, don't judge till the end. And if you're going to look at a particular person who was extraordinary, extraordinary in his faith, it's obviously Paul in the Bible. And if you listen to what Paul says, you will learn a great deal of what it looks like to get to the end. And what the end looks like when you've actually founded it in Jesus Christ. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I'll read it out for you. I am now ready, this is Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, I am now ready to be offered 
and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, what confidence is this? He says this. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. And not to me only. Listen. Not to me only. It's not some special thing just given to Paul. It says, not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. There is a crown of righteousness given to those, not just to Paul, but to everybody who's looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ. And the war is against this. The war is against your eyes focused on Jesus and Jesus alone because he's not just an extension or an attachment, but he is everything. And when he is everything, your eyes are looking at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And there is a reward given to those people. Now listen, the confidence in Paul, the confidence at the end of his life, what faith did for him. Listen what it did. It gave him a confidence of conscience. A confidence of conscience where he says, I have fought a good fight. That, that's, that's fantastic. I don't know if you've ever heard of a person who's almost on their deathbed at the end of their life and the things that they regret and the things that they could have or should have done and why couldn't I do this and why didn't I do it like that and I should have done it like this. But Paul doesn't say that. He goes, I have fought a good fight. There's nothing that I have left undone. It's extraordinary, I think. I fought a good fight. Most men die with regrets. Most men wish they had did this. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. How can a man claim such a thing? Because a man of faith can. I fought a good fight. I've done my best that I could do. I couldn't have done better. It's not only a confidence in a clear conscience, it's a confidence of a completed purpose. He says this, I have finished my course. A fulfilled mission. Most people don't even know what their mission is. They don't even know where they're going, where they're heading. They don't know what what does God want from me. People don't realise. People don't realise that you will never be content, you will never be satisfied, you will never find fulfillment unless you find it in the will of God. Your most hated, your most miserable place, if it is in the will of God, will become paradise for you. And so what we do is we go and look and we try and find our fulfillment and where I need to be and what I need to be doing, but we miss the mark because it's not the will of God for you. But if you found the will of God for you, you will be at peace and content. You don't need to be chasing shadows anymore. That's the reality. And he goes, I have finished my course. I have fulfilled the purpose and direction that I was meant to go out to do. I've done it. I mean, I don't know, how do you want to end your life? I don't want to end my life like sitting down regretting and wishing and hoping. And I want to end my life knowing well and assured that faith has brought me to the place at the end where my faith was the fulfillment of Christ and Christ alone and that through Him, my purpose on life was done. Isn't that life? Like in the end, what else do you want? What else do you endeavour to seek? 
Money? Like, well, how's good, that going to be on your deathbed? Like, what, what your, your properties? Your wealth? Your, your popularity? Like, what? But faith, faith that leads you to Jesus, and when you're led to Christ, you know that your peace and contentment are in Him. You know. And this is what Paul says. He goes, I fought the good fight. I have finished my course. Most people remain unsatisfied because they don't even know what their purpose is, is in life. But he goes, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. This is true victory. There is no victory greater than this, do you know? Conquering Mount Everest is not greater than a man who has kept the faith in this dark, cold world of unbelief. Anyone who keeps the faith in this state of the world is victory. Believe me. Atheism is growing bigger than it's ever grown. Ideologies and philosophies that are anti-God are at full blossom. Anyone in this dark age can hold to faith is victory. It's extraordinary. In fact, it is a testament of what genuine real faith is. Who's going to hinder you and stop you from running to Jesus? What can hinder you or stop you from running to Jesus? What is it? You tell me. Because anything that hinders you or stops you from running to Jesus is only a tool, like a scalpel, that's cutting away unbelief. And when you realize that, that in the end, I let this thing just continue to refine me, purify me, clean me, till I get to this place where I need to be of faith. But if it cuts me and throws me off, it's just telling me that I'm not where I need to be. That's all. That your faith isn't right. It's not settled. Because true faith, and this is the, the beautiful thing, when Jesus says, no one can take you out of my hand. Because the reality is true faith, true faith cannot separate itself from God. Like when your faith is embedded, it is like stuck. And a man, when they die at the end of their life, knowing that they've held on to faith, not a wishy-washy, superficial faith, but a faith that basically grants them a peace, a peace that is victory. A peace over, over, over unrighteousness, a peace over doubt and confusion, a peace over all the worries and concerns of this life. Paul says, I have kept the faith. I kept it. I didn't compromise it. I didn't let doctrines wishy-washy and, and wash it up. I've kept the faith. It's an extraordinary gift. It's extraordinary. It's, this is the power of God. This is the will of God. I've kept the faith. Man, I reckon when we get to the end uh, and we, we, we're taken up to a platform in heaven and we, we're given maybe an opportunity to look over the earth and we see all the entanglements and all the chains and all the barbed wire that kept us caged and we look and we go, whoa, I escaped that. I escaped it. <laughs> I kept the faith. What a testimony of the power and glory of God upon my life. It is like an impossibility, and yet it was possible because of him. I kept the faith. Who, me, in my, my knowledge, my uneducated brain, like, I kept the faith. That's what Paul says, I kept the faith. There is no greater gift given to any man at the end of his life than 
the keeping of this faith. You manage to do this, mate, you claim life. Not life here, eternal life, eternal life. And this is the confidence of Paul, a, a man at the end of his life. True victory, but not, with, not only a true victory and confidence in that, but he says this, henceforth, listen, from now on, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that's going to be given to me by the righteous judge, the one who judges righteously. Now, it may not mean much to you, but the spiritual-minded man knows, just like the earthly-minded man, that the gold here is so valuable, the spiritual-minded man knows that the crown in the kingdom of heaven is of greater value. And so Paul is so excited that I'm going to be given a crown of righteousness by a righteous judge. He's going to crown me. Men pursue power, popularity. Give any man a crown on this earth. They will die for it. They will kill other men for it. They'll destroy nations for it. But the spiritual-minded man cares nothing for this, but knows in the kingdom of heaven there's a crown given to those who desire his appearing. I want to talk a little bit about that, just a little bit. Those who desire his appearing, why would you even care? If, you're, if all is well with you, and all is okay, and you're prosperous in this present world, in this earth, and you're making money, and you're relaxed, and you're traveling, you're on holidays, you've got the luxuries, you've got the privileges, why would you even care about his appearing? I wouldn't be looking for Jesus. I'm content and happy. But there's some connection with the one that's looking for the appearing of Jesus is that they can't find any fulfillment in this world. They're totally dissatisfied, given money, discontent. Given luxuries and the discontent. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're just waiting. I want him to come. I'm waiting, I just want him to come. This is the one that's running after Jesus. This is the one that's running after Jesus. But Paul knows... He's a wise man, Paul, a spiritual man, Paul. He knows that the one who pursues and runs after Jesus has to do certain things, has to act and behave in a certain manner or demonstrate certain principles of life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, 25, he says this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, he says this. Know ye not? Don't you know that they which run in a race... Run all, but only one receives the prize. So you need to run to get that prize. So run in a way that you may obtain it. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible one. There's two things here quite beautiful for me when I read it, what he's trying to say. He says, don't you know, when people run, they run in a way that they're going to win. They don't run in a way that they're going to lose. If you're a true athlete, you run in a way that you're going to win. You don't come to the the starting line defeated. You come to the starting line a winner. And he's saying the Christian has to be the same. Because it's faith. You don't come like, oh, God doesn't love me. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm useless. I'm... 
No, you come believing that Jesus Christ died, and if he died, he's risen you from the dead, and I am victorious in him. This is my faith, and this is what my life looks like because of this faith. You believe that you have won because of Jesus Christ. Don't be like the disciples when Jesus was there at the Last Supper, and he said to them, one of you will betray me. They all turned around, and they started saying to each other, who, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Is it, who is it? Could it be me? <laughs> That's not faith. You're, you're, you're with Jesus. You know you've followed him for three years. You know that you've seen his miracles. You've, you've, you've tasted and ate together. Like You'd be turning around saying, surely it's not me, Lord. Surely it's not me because I gave up everything to follow you. What, now I'm going to betray you? I'm going to deny you? But they didn't. They all turned around going, is it me? Is it me? I'm not sure. Is it me? Like, like a lot of Christians with their faith, do I love God? Do I love Jesus? I don't know. Oh, is that what love, loving God, Jesus? Brothers and sisters, there's not one of you that God does not love. There's not one of you that Jesus didn't die for, and you are as precious as the 99. So to you belongs the eternal riches in the kingdom of heaven if you but believe. And it doesn't matter who you are and what you call yourself and how you perceive yourself to be, he doesn't care because it's the least among you that he's been after. So you have every right to come to the starting line of the race to Jesus Christ, believing that what he has begun you, he is going to finish. <laughs> Why are you going to chase other things while you're running a race? What it says, it says this, it says, um, and every man, anyone who wants to master something, anyone who wants to master something is temperate, temperate in all things, meaning that anyone who wants to master something has self-control. There's a discipline about their behavior. That means they're not going to go and follow every whim and fancy, everything that's going to be hindering in their way from the race. You know, you're running a race, you're ready, you've really got to get to the finish line, the, the, the gun goes off and you go, and all of a sudden you see all the fans going like this, and you turn around and you go, like that. Because you're, you're consuming upon your ego or your pride and you're distracted from the race. But the one who's disciplined... He's locked, he's locked at the finish line. He's, he's there. He's f- focused. He's not looking at the person next to him because he knows that slight tilt is going to cause some kind of a friction that's going to slow him down. My son and, and, and his mate next to him were gymnasts. They know that when they're competing on an apparatus, that they are temperate in every part of their body. Their mind has to focus from their toes to their fingers. Self-control. If they're going to master an apparatus, they need to be disciplined. Their body has to be aware what this left leg is doing, what this right arm is doing, where my head is swinging, where my toes are pointing. So is the Christian. You need to know where your desires are and your emotions. You need to know where your heart is and where your thoughts are. And you need to be temperate, self-controlled in this matter. You can't just do whatever you want to do, guys. Young, young people, listen. You can't do whatever you feel like doing. Because it becomes like a poison to your soul, and to your heart, and to your mind. You've got to be temperate in all things. Self-controlled. You need to tell your body where it needs to go and where you're going to take it. That's what Paul is saying. He says it here in chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. He says, 
I therefore, listen, I therefore run. I run, not uncertain. So fight I, not as one that beats the air. But I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's giving you a tip how to run. He's giving you pointers. You don't just go with whatever you feel like or whatever you think is going to be comfortable and easy for you. He goes, no, I don't. He goes, what I do is when I want to do something that's based on my desires and has no value for my spiritual life, I grab that very thing and I put it under the submission of what it needs to be doing. And young, young people, the problem is, is that because you're young, you haven't experienced enough of life to realize how important this is for you. You've got to guard this heart of yours and your mind. You've got to guard it. And you've got to bring it into subjection to where it needs to be. You can't just go with everything you like. Because the older people here will tell you in this room what happens when they do that. You can't just like marry someone and then say, I don't want to marry her anymore because I don't like her. Because I'm not happy. She doesn't make me happy. Or I'm not in love with her. Or he, he's not the person I thought. You can't just do that. There's consequences. There's responsibilities. So you've got to train yourself to take the very thing, that, that, that desire or the lust or the greed or whatever it is, and harness it. You harness it and you bring it into subjection. It's a great, it's a great beautiful truth. Unfortunately, people can't do it. You can't do it because... You don't have the Spirit of God. You don't have the power of God. This is why we run to Jesus. Because running to Jesus keeps you safe. Running to Jesus makes sure you get to the end of the road victorious. Running to Jesus keeps you at peace and confident. And you can choose whichever way you want to run, but in the end, there's a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And I had an opportunity to share at a, um, at, a, at a viewing, at a funeral. And I want to share a passage that I shared there because I thought it was quite significant uh, to speak to people who are, uh, uh, are watching someone who just had passed before their eyes. And the passage that I read from was John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. It was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to look at any man who ran well, and any man who fulfilled the purpose and the will, is who? Jesus. If you want to look at a greater picture than any picture of ending, is in the resurrection of Christ. Is that right? What you give me any achievement in this world, is it greater than the, the resurrection of a dead man? No power on earth, no human effort can raise a man from the dead. But the glory and the power of a living God who does this not only for his son, but anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, you all, most of you, some of you are dead men walking. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Life abundantly. He'll raise you from the dead if you only come and run to Jesus. So listen to this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and one whom Jesus loved, John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. The, the greatest miraculous event in all of human history 
and she had no idea. That's what she says. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Mary, you were with Jesus. You experienced his forgiveness. It's like a, a picture of Christians. Day in, day out, you go to church, but in the end, at the climax, I just don't know where. There's some piece of information is not clicking to me. I'm just not getting it. But God's not going to leave you like that if you're seeking Him. God's not going to leave you in the dark if you want Him. She went by night. She couldn't see clearly. There was a stone that had been moved away from the tomb. But she never went in to have a look for herself. From a distance, she could see some power has happened. But it's not... I don't understand it. It's a misconception of something. So she went back and she told the the disciples. And who do we have? We have Peter and John who followed Jesus, gave up everything to do that. And then we see them in the beautiful verse. We read in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Doesn't sound attractive, does it? Place of death. But they're going there. And most people wonder, what are you going there for? What's, what has it benefit you? Go to church? What are you going to church for? That's Dead people go to church. What are you going there for? But there's something about this place. To everyone else, it's like a dead man. But there's something about this place. There's something that is calling me and drawing me to go and have a look for myself. For me. I need to know. Not because someone told me. Not because someone says, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. Or because the, I need to know. I need, to, I need to see where the contradictions are. And so John and Peter, they went, verse 4, both of them were running together. They were running together. Why the detail in this passage is extraordinary. It's sort of a God who knows the human heart, knows how people operate and how people work. We're all running together, Right? But some of us, listen, run faster than others. Some of us are too slow. Some of us get dragged behind. Some of us outrun the other. And so have a look what happens here. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John outran Peter. (laughs) And then John, probably because he's younger, got... And Peter's going, and John gets to the tomb. He gets to the tomb, and the Bible says, and he stands at the tomb. He outran Peter, but he doesn't go in. And as we continue to read, it says this, Then Peter, verse 6, came, following him, and what happened? And he went into the tomb. It's a race. Run in such a way that there's only one prize. Run in such a way there's only going to be one person who's going to see the glory and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's Peter, almost there. He gets outrun by John. John gets to the tomb, but he never gets in. Then Peter, who you thought wasn't going to get there, don't judge a man till the end of his time. He gets into the tomb and extraordinarily sees what? Well, he doesn't see nothing. He doesn't see anything. which is a good thing. But I'll tell you what he sees. He sees this. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, listen, 
he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he did not go in. Sorry. This is, this is John. So stooping to go in, he didn't go in. And then verse 6, it says, Then Simon Peter came following him, and it was Peter that went into the tomb. John saw dead men's clothes, but Peter went in, and what he saw was extraordinary. Verse 6, And Simon Peter came following him. He went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. But in verse 7 it says, And the face cloth which he had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but they were folded up in a place by itself. Beautiful, isn't it? When a man just partially wants to throw himself at the cross or the resurrection, they're only going to see dead men's clothes, the linen that was wrapping Jesus up, like most people on the outside looking in. But the man who wants to go to the burial ground and and be in the grave and die with Jesus, he gets to see a linen folded. That tells you something about Jesus. Tells you something quite powerful and quite significant that Jesus ended well. (laughs) Jesus ended well. That the very thing that was covering his face wasn't laying there like the linen cloths were, they were folded. Jesus, before he went to the Father, had time to take this cloth off his face and didn't just throw it like the other linen. He folded it. It is done. It is finished. The power and the glory of God was demonstrated how a man dies in the kingdom of heaven, on earth, entering the kingdom of heaven. How someone basically can master death, fold it, Leave it and enter into grace. Who got to see that? Peter got to see that. The Christian gets to see that. It's extraordinary. You could run, but you've got to run in a way to get in, win the prize, see it for yourself, the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. The Bible records about a hundred, a hundred leaders, and about two thirds of them did not end well. The Bible talks about the wilderness and how only two of an older generation got to get in to the promised land. The Bible talks about a, a way that is wide, and many, many go that way. But there's a way that is narrow, and only a few find it. But those who find it, they discover this amazing thing. And the Bible tells us this. That though it was narrow for many, it was a big, great gate. A big, great gate. That though many could not find it, to the one who has faith, it was like massive. Let me just finish off. With the words again. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but there's only one that receives the prize. So you need to run in such a way as though you're going to obtain it. 
And everyone that wants to run and strive to master something, they need to be self-controlled in all things. Because they know that they're going to obtain a crown that is not like the crowns on this earth, but this is an eternal crown that's incorruptible. So for, therefore you need to run, not with a lack of confidence, but with certainty that He is my God and, and I am His and nothing is going to come against this faith, that I will die with my hands held up saying, victory, victory. I don't fight as one that beats the air, like punching nowhere. Every punch that I take actually hits the spot with direct strategic purpose. That's the Christian. Lest by any means, if I'm preaching to other people and I go astray myself. <laughs> so I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep pushing towards, run towards Jesus at all cost. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The very fabric that was hiding the face of Jesus is the very fabric that you would wipe his face, the sweat, the earthly efforts of life. And most of us, we carry that around all the time so we can wipe our brow, wipe our brow, tiredness, tiredness, wipe our brow. Jesus took that and he folded it. He folded it and he left it in the tomb. He left it in the tomb. It doesn't belong in heaven. There's no sweat in heaven. I'm asking you this morning, and I'm talking to you particularly, those who God is talking to. You know the things that God would speak to you about. And if he's, if, he's, if he's knocking at the door of your heart and he's saying, look, you know, you, you need to let me in. You've got to stop and let me in. Stop making me a part of your life. I don't want to be a part of your life. I want to be your life. I want to be everything. It's not something that you do on Sunday. It's something that you do every second, every minute, every hour. Enough. Enough. Make me everything. Make me everything. And if you come before him this morning and you say, Lord God, I, I, I confess before you my sins. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. I understand that you came into this world to give me life and you've called me to come to you and, and surrender my heart to you and I'll, I'll do that this morning. Then do that. It's the greatest thing you can ever do. It is a gift from heaven. God's offering you His Son. And if you believe in your heart that this is true, then come before Him and confess your sins. Ask Him to come and change your life. And as, as of this day that you choose Him above all things. And you will follow Him and ask Him for His protection, His safety. And you'll make a commitment to, to do everything that He asks of you to do because you are His disciple now. And if you do that, you can leave this place this morning with joy in your heart and peace in your life.
Father in heaven, I give you thanks and praise, Lord God, for all that you are. You are truly a wonderful, wonderful God. I cannot find the words, Lord God, to express how wonderful you are to me, to us, to this church. I ask you, Lord God, that you keep knocking at the hearts of those who don't hear you, Lord God, who don't know you, Lord God, who, whose hearts are continually at war with you. I pray, Father, that you would wake them. Even now, Lord God, your mercy is, is, is new. I give you glory and praise, Father. I pray that you keep knocking at the door of our heart till we open up and let you in. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.